Maple syrup and honey. Hmm. Sounds like some sticky business. Wait a minute. Something like that movie called Risky Business back in the 80s, but we won't go there tonight. But sweet treats are great. They are. And when you put that honey on your toast, you know where it ends on your lap. You're listening to episode four of In Grey Highlands This Week. Well, in this segment, we're going to talk about beehives of today. You know, Paul, we've been talking a lot about the environment and the health of our local agriculture. So we took some time this week to talk to Hugh Simpson, who's a beekeeper. He owns Osprey Bluffs uh, Honey Company out near Rob Roy. Well, my farm's not uh, too far from him, and I tell you, his bees are sure busy because I have a lot of wild apples uh, growing on my wild apple trees, and I tell you, they're just flowing like friggin' snowflakes. Well, we should be getting some apple honey then. Oh, I tell you, if you could make some, you got a recipe? Yes, I do, but uh, that's uh, another time. So Hugh bought his farm in 1999, so that was... Uh, you remember what thing farms cost in 1999? Anyhow, he he left his city job in 2008 after the crash, and he came up to Osprey uh, at his farm, and he said, oh, got to make a living up here. So he looked at it, several opportunities. One was cow-calf, and he, he thought that that would take a, a lot of time and effort. So he looked at beekeeping, and that's where he headed. So, sounds, sounds something like Wingfield Farm. So I lent myself out to a commercial beekeeper in Gray County. I spent a year with that commercial Greek beekeeper and uh, worked hard and didn't ask too many stupid questions, but watched and uh, learned. And at the end of a year uh, working with that beekeeper, I, I think I had 60 or 70 beehives on my, uh, in my farm area. And then somebody came along and said, uh, I heard of a fellow who wanted to retire. He was getting on in age. He didn't have anybody else to take over his beekeeping operation. So at the end of 2009, uh, I had three or 400 beehives. So like it or not, uh, I was a commercial beekeeper at the end of uh, 2008, beginning in 2009. All those beehives aren't all on his own farm, though, are they? Probably on, you know... 20 or 15 or 20 or 25 different farms. In my case, depending on the year and the time of year, I'm keeping between, you know, 250 and 400 beehives. And I try to stay in touch with about 15 to 20 different farmers. I have an agreement which is uh, very informal and quite uh, friendly with a farmer that I keep bees on uh, his or her property, usually at the back of the property somewhere and 15 or 20 beehives across the area. Where I am today with the markets that I'm serving and the uh, number of hives that I'm running is about the optimum and just work by myself and my dog. And uh, so that's what that's the reason that I sort of keep it small. We have a lot of uh, producers up this way, don't we? Yes, according to Hugh, Great County makes up a good portion of the province's honey production, which is great to know. Uh, there is a premium uh, in the marketplace for a, a nice, a natural Ontario honey. Uh, Gray County is, I would suggest, quietly producing 
around 15% of the total production for Ontario honey. Um, there's a lot of commercial beekeepers here, and, uh, and they all are, um, many, I should say, are uh, at least as large and, and most really bigger than I am. Um, but they aren't, uh, you know, they're not always marketing. You don't always hear about them. Uh, they're selling that product in a barrel, and it's going somewhere. Um, but they are productive, and there's a good deal of honey coming out of the Gray County area into the Ontario and the Canadian market. So with the importance of honey as a commodity, what does Hugh think about the uh, current uh, global concerns about pollinators? And we know pollinators are very important for agriculture and uh, with regards to that UN report. Yeah, we hear a lot about bee health since the die-off in southwestern Ontario was linked to neonicotinoids, a pesticide used mostly in grain cops, corn and canola. There's a lot of science that went into that, but perhaps uh, the media and politics got a bit ahead of the uh, scientific conclusions. So this is a topical uh, item. That is the sort of the subject of bee health uh, locally and globally. It, it started in, um, in the area that we are broadcasting uh, in Ontario, southwestern Ontario, uh, in 2012. Uh, there was a particular scare uh, that went with um, the planting of that year down in southwestern Ontario. So it's not as simple as it we may be led to believe? Causes for bee health-related uh, issues. One is certainly exposure in the right dose to a pesticide, but there are others, uh, mites, Pests, diseases, beekeeper error, weather—all of these things are attributing are contributing to the uh, to the difficulty about keeping bees. So, how healthy are our bees locally? Sounds like we have a good diversity here for their foraging appetites. Most of the commercial beekeepers that I keep in touch with in our area, which uh, kind of spans the Gray County uh, geography. Uh, would tell you that uh, they, they've really had limited difficulty with this. Um, a couple reasons for that, I think. Um, one is, in, in our area, um, the, the forage geography, that is the area where bees fly to feed, is uh, quite diverse. Uh, if you compare Gray County to some other places, um, like southwestern Ontario, where the land can go for thousands of acres and be terrific uh, in terms of its uh, productivity around grains, the same doesn't really hold true here. There's a, there's a high likelihood that bees are going to be foraging in Gray County, uh, not just across cornfields or not just across grain fields, but also into swamps and marshy areas and where there's a diversity of, of flora. Diversity of flora provides a diversity of carbohydrates, a diversity of proteins. Those are all beneficial uh, to bees. We have a good spot in Gray County, largely for that. And notwithstanding that many, many, many of the farms that uh, our bees are kept on include a corn crop or a bean crop or a grain crop of other kinds, 
Uh, we just haven't really had the problem uh, that has been reported in some other places regarding uh, exposure to uh, pesticides. With all that variety, there must be lots of flavor- flavorable honey out there in our area. There is a uh, there is a, a labeling uh, that goes with a sort of seasonal flower. So if if a beekeeper is taking his or her honey off, that is the harvest, at a time when there's a you know a, a preponderance of dandelions, he or she might label that honey as a dandelion honey, and it will have certain attributes, color and taste and fragrance and so on that are unique to that flower. Um, it's, uh, and similarly for canola or for goldenrod or any of the other flora, the tricky part is whether or not you are, uh, getting a substantial enough, uh, harvest of that particular flower to be able to call it that kind of, uh, taste, but the others are very delicate differences. And, uh, what I do is I take my honey off once uh, that is beginning around the middle of August, towards the end of August, once the boxes start to get full. And uh, they'll be full from spring and early summer flowers at that time, which is the dandelions and the marsh marigolds and basswoods and willow flowers and so on that are coming on. And uh, then I'll continue to harvest until now. I just finished harvest this past week, which would be the goldenrod and the joe pie weeds. And that honey becomes what I refer to in my market as a full-season wildflower honey. So instead of having it as a dandelion strain or as a goldenrod strain, it becomes a full season of honey. And, and uh, my market is largely chefs. Uh, they like that story, and they, uh, they like to be able to do whatever it is they want to in their kitchens to make it taste the way they would like it to taste. So if people want to take a taste of some of Hughes honey, how do they uh, do that? Well, he's got an honor system set up down his driveway where you can drive in there and he's got this beehive thing on his porch there. And he has his products there and it's on the honor system. And uh, there's lots of very honorable people based on his uh, accounting skills. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting that uh, we have these honorable people in our community. It seems quite common. We're over down on in the Brewster Lake area and, and up the road from um, from Gray Road 4, uh, just south of Rob Roy Corners. So we don't have a lot of traffic going by our farm. And, and so when I decided to uh, about how to market honey, uh, there's really those th- there's three ways. One is to take it in a barrel and sell it to somebody who's then going to repackage it and put their name on it. And I do a little bit of that. The other is to sell it as... Uh, in a kind of a middle wholesale market to chefs and commercial kitchens who then use it, either they feature it on a menu or they'll use it as an ingredient. Uh, that's a primary market for me. And then a small market for me is gate sales. And that's essentially my model there is I keep a uh, what looks like a beehive sitting on the steps of my farmhouse and I have a sign at the end of the driveway that invites people to come down the driveway and help themselves. And uh, so lots of neighbors, uh, the odd tourist, we have, uh, you know, we, we leverage the uh, tourist associations out of Collingwood and, and Gray Highlands and, and Gray County to try and make people aware that if they're in that area, they can drive by and help themselves to honey. And so it's a small business, but it's, uh, it's gratifying because you get, uh, you know, you come home at the end of the day and the box is empty and there's money in the box. 
Well, I might just stop there someday on the way by, but I know that I'll certainly pass it on for other of those to uh, swing in, swing on in and get some of that sweet, tasty honey. Yeah, we can support Hugh through his products, but we can also support the bees. We ask Hugh what he suggests a landowner might do to support bee health. One of the things for the sort of the average landowner, you know, somebody who might be, you know, sitting in a maybe in a residential uh, location is to take a different perspective on uh, on what landscape uh, beauty looks like. Uh, so instead of a, uh, a terrific-looking green uh, spring and summer lawn with some, you know, artfully placed, you know, double-bloom roses, uh, think about a uh, kind of a wildflower uh, area, uh, maybe, you know, letting the dandelions go until they're done. Uh, that's a, such a critical uh, source of nutrition for the early spring. Um, and, uh, and sort of, uh, uh, doing your best on your own little, uh, plot of land and uh, maybe trying to be, you know, politely influencing your neighbors to do the same thing so that your entire neighborhood becomes more of a wildflower, uh, you know, let it fly kind of, uh, kind of an environment, uh, you know, grow it, don't mow it. And if you want to know more, Hugh hosts workshops every year with Grey Ag Services in Markdale, so keep abreast of where you can learn more. A lot of bee, beehives are being put on small lots these days, so Hugh can help you with that idea. We're so lucky to have farmers that have those years of experience to teach the current generations that are out there with all those new ideas that are from the past. Yeah, Hugh says, uh, talk to those who do as often as you may. What I encourage people to do is, uh, just as with any farming, you know, farming to consumer business, is, is go and talk to the farmer and go and talk to the beekeeper. Uh, so instead of getting, that means instead of getting the information that you might you know, want to use to create your opinions or views on things directly from the media or from any particular political platform, Go and have a conversation with the local beekeeper that you trust and that you're likely to buy your honey from. And, and uh, I think that's where you'll feel most satisfied with the information that, you're, uh, that you get. I always enjoy, enjoy learning uh, direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak. It was great to have you in the studio. We go way back on uh, Great Bruce Agricultural and Culinary s- Studies. Uh, it's nice to talk to him, and we'll be talking more about the Gray County and the Ontario Federation of Agriculture. Folks, you can learn more about Osprey uh, Bluffs Honey Company at Hugh's website at ospreybluffshoney.ca, or you can follow him on Instagram, and he takes some great pictures. Yeah, we'll also post the full interview with Hugh soon on our website at ingrayhighlandsthisweek.ca. And we'd love to hear from you. Please feedback about our podcast at greyhighlandsthisweek.ca and by calling our feedback line at 519-900-8905 thanks for your help (laughs) in this segment we're going to talk about health of our hospitals hospitals very important for our community of all communities did you know Stuart that our hospital originally began as a private hospital which was started by Dr. Kerfoot in 1930 from the Revere Hotel uh, sold to the village was supported by nine local municipalities and the upper and lower tier governments, uh, uh, which became a public 
uh, entity in 1947. Well, public meant uh, that people had to make a contribution towards uh, the upkeep of that hospital, right? So uh, today, our community, since 47 forward, has always uh, raised money. Service clubs have raised money. Business has raised money. And even recently, there was a golf tournament. Uh, you played in that golf tournament, and, and I drove my cart around in that golf tournament. And uh, we spoke to local business owner Karen Cox and Santa Gray Health Services Foundation Coordinator Darlene Lamberti, who announced that the ra- that the event raised $28,309.60. Pretty amazing, really. Did you know, Paul, our community has to raise over 500000 a year to support the hospital in Markdale? Well, I know the community raised over $12 million to build a new hospital back in the early 2000s. I know we're still waiting on that new hospital, but I think a, a pivotal point was when Eric Koshkins, the minister at the time in 2014, came up and announced the new hospital. And that was very, very important at that time, and, and it has continued on since then. Well, every bit of uh, money helps towards that 500000 There's lots of programs uh, being run by the program committee, the events committee, to raise that kind of money. Uh, we need the money for operating and equipment. And so let's hear on how some of the fundraising works. We put in so much, and if everybody puts a little bit into the pot, then it right. has a bigger impact on what it can do in our community. And I think if everybody just gives a bit, right. then we can have some great results. And everybody in this community needs a local hospital. Right. So we need to support this hospital if we want to keep this hospital. You know, every time when you're looking at funding, you're saying we have to raise $500,000 per year. And that's just for equipment and supplies for the existing hospital, that's not right. for the future hospital. No. You know, and that's one of the things I find when I'm out in the community working on this golf tournament is people think it's for the new hospital. And we have to sort of, you know, clarify, no, it's for the existing hospital that sits right here in Markdale that supports this whole community. I guess we really do need to think about where all that money comes from for that equipment and furniture, as Darlene suggests. I would just like to point out, um, you're absolutely right, Karen, and a lot of people don't realize that the government does not pay for the equipment in a hospital. They do not pay for the flooring. There are They pay for the overhead, but everything else, the community pays for. So when you walk in the hospital, the floor you walk on is bought by the community. The chair you sit on in the waiting room, bought by the community. The treatment beds you lie on, the um, the x-ray machine that tells you your arm is broken, the computer that the triage nurse signs you in on, those are all paid for by you, the donor, not the government. So to have someone like CNSKI reach into their database and get support from the people that they know and deal with, um, you you know, it's it's the only way that we're going to raise this money. Well, we're really lucky to have so many generous donors, not just in Grey Highlands, but in other areas covered by our hospital. Some of the other areas are West Grey, southern part of uh, Chatsworth, Southgate. It's a real large area. It's a what they call the catchment area. Well, yeah, it would be difficult for the Grey Highlanders to do it on their, on their own. Yeah. You know what, Paul? I mean, uh, all being said, we have 5,240 homes in Grey Highlands. So if each home gave $100 a year we could raise over 500000 So, But that's not possible. So people do give what they can give, but just thinking that $100 per, per home would, uh, would solve that problem of operating costs. You know what? You can have all the money in the world, but you, you, you can't 
keen on your health and you need health. So, you know, what is your health worth? So you have more people and sponsors for events like golf tournaments to come forward to assist in raising the funds, like the hospital auxiliary and their Pennywise shop and fundraising auctions. Yeah, we can do it all together. And like Karen uh, Cox says. Well, I think if everybody just gives a little and we collect a whole group of community partners, because it's just not Russ and I and C and Ski, um, we may be the ones behind it and maybe the work power behind it, but it's everybody in the community coming together and all our business partners. And when you get all of them collaboratively, we have a tremendous force and we can do a lot as we did with this golf tournament for the Center Gray Hospital. Uh, I, I certainly have taken part in last year and this is this year was the second annual uh, golf tournament and we raised some great funds. I think it was close to 28,000 over and uh, you know, we always look forward to next year. Yeah, they raised 28,000 this year. Previous year was 23,000. So they're working on more whole sponsors uh, for the 2020, July 2020. They hope to raise $35,000. And uh, we'll be helping them get the word out along the way. How so. am I going to get the word out? I don't know. Maybe bumper stickers, T-shirts, I'll sing it from the rooftop. <laughs> I don't know, but I will try my hardest. Well, And I think that's what sort of um, inspired us. We did not understand um, that the existing hospitals, all the existing hospitals in Ontario, had to do fundraising to open their doors and offer supplies right. and equipment for everyday operations. And, you know, you never know when you're going to need that hospital and if it's not there, I think we would all find it a huge loss in our community. Yeah. And if you ever have needed it or ever do need it, when you leave, when you walk out that door, mentally thank your community because it is because of them that you were able to visit that hospital. Really enlightening in how we fund our hospitals. I guess it's really about how do we keep people giving when they've already given to a hospital that's already built. Well, that extra money is needed uh, to run our hospitals. So it's important, uh, uh, you know, to, to, for people to understand that uh, they might have given to the hospital fund, but we need to raise another $500,000 a year in our community to make our hospitals work properly. So it was great to talk to uh, Karen and Darlene about their success, which is really one of many. The push on is now on for a new MRI machine, which will be an Owen Sound, but it's available to all the five hospitals in the system. So local donations do fund the regional uh, hospital system. Well, too. I know MRIs cost uh, over a million dollars, so we each individual hospital couldn't afford that. So that's why driving to Owen Sound, you can go up there in a day and come back. So uh, I think it's important uh, that we understand that. And I guess the province kicks in a lot of funding as well to cover all the staff and operational costs, but the equipment needs are separate. That will always continue to be. So that's uh, an ongoing uh, revenue required to operate a hospital. Well, I'll, I'll iterate again is, you know what, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have their health, you know, what's, what's money? So it's good to donate because you, you never know when you'll need it. Yeah, it's a bit complicated how it all works, but we do know we need people to keep on giving so we can sustain our local hospital. You can learn more about helping our local hospital by contacting the foundation on its website at cghsfoundation.com. So get out there and support your local hospital. What and when, episode four. 
Today I have Robert Yonterno, the curator at the South Korea Museum, with me. And uh, Robert and I have uh, had some great associations at the museum, so we're we're quite familiar with our our style and our our jokes and things. But it's great to have you here today, Robert. Uh, on the, the Saturday, you've got something coming up in. Uh, uh, in Markdale, but first I want to go back to something that we were also relates to maybe some of the things that are hap- could happen at the museum is about quilts. What's what do you think is happening out in the Flesher and Library this Friday? So I'm happy to be here, Stuart. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, this Friday, uh, the library is featuring quilt stories. They're asking people to bring in their quilts and tell their tales at 2 p.m. in Flesherton. Quilts are cool. Quilts are small squares of fabric stitched to make larger blankets of fabric. They incorporate thrift. They incorporate community. Uh, they keep you warm when it gets cold, which happens. And people tend to keep them, which is nice. And there's a thriving business, actually, in vintage quilts. People really appreciate them. It You've actually donated some quilts, or rather loaned some quilts to the museum. Yeah, there's one that uh, we... It's called a crazy quilt from... It was... Uh Apparently that was the style in the late 1800s. And uh, so there's one there that I'm sure that has some stories. Uh, but, you know, was that early recycling, Robert, do you think? I would say it's early upcycling. Okay. Well, uh, waste not, want not. Is, right on. Makes a quilt. So uh, going back to uh, Markdale is rad, uh, which you're going to be happening happening this week, uh, this Saturday. So tell me, what was the motivation and inspiration uh, to, uh, to, is this to inspire the people from uh, Markdale or to inspire the community? You must have a message in your madness. So thanks for asking. It's part of Ontario's Culture Days or Canada's Culture Days. And um, we have some great support from Gray County, as well as the Ministry of Tourism, as well as economic development, Grey Highlands, and etc. And the motivation behind it is I like Markdale a lot. When I first came into the town, I found it to be very cool. It's this main street from a Victorian era um, at at a crossroads in the center of Grey County. And I'm inspired because so much of it is still there. So poking around and kind of getting into the nooks and crannies of the physical place, you see cool stuff like the southwest corner used to be the W.J. McFarland store. And that was built in the 1860s. And on the north side of that building, the writing is still there. So the writing is on the wall, so to speak. Ah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, I see. It's very faintly. The owner, uh, Henry, Ho, Henry Ho, pointed that out to me. So I'm not sure whether we could convince him to restore that writing uh, or, or not, but uh, it shouldn't be lost. So Right on. So to get back to the question before yeah. I get too excited. Yes. Um, Markdale is rad is meant to be a slightly ambiguous event. I'm taking a page from this uh from a popular television show in the 90s in that it's kind of an event about nothing. And the idea is that rad is an ambiguous term and I want the community to come out and animate themselves with what they feel rad is. So we have big posters that are being printed by our local print shop, Murray's, and they're scattered throughout Main Street and they have different tidbits of information old people, old streetscapes, facts, 
excerpts from the Markdale Standard, which, by the way, has been preserved and digitized online thanks to the library. You can get all the copies from 1880, the very first issue, all the way up to the 1950s, which is cool. And then the, the balance of that is being kept alive by a very nice lady named Elaine who works at the hospital. The idea is that I'm a newcomer around here and everyone, I guess, is a relative newcomer, especially when you compare um, settlers to First Nations. And so I wanted people to tell me about Markdale and especially I wanted to involve the the many seniors that we have in the community because man, do they know some cool stuff. Every time I go to spend time with the, the Markdale seniors at their lunch on Fridays, um, they tell me neat things. So we even, we're crowdsourcing in a way the history of Markdale. So we're inviting people to bring their old artifacts for a show and tell. We're inviting people to tell us their old Markdale stories. So how are you going to capture that, Robert? Uh, are you opening up that uh, little center, reimagined center there? That's right. Um, Have you got some scribes to take this down or you got a recorder there? What, how are you making this, capturing this moment in time? So we have um, a space on the northwest corner of Markdale, the formerly the reimagined center, um, kindly donated to us by uh, Ray from the Bargain Center. and Swayze. Yes, Ray Swayze, that's right. Uh, who's ancestors, by the way, were Rolls-Royce coach, coach builders in, York, in Yorkville. And now he's moved up in the world and is in Markdale. Right. Anyway, so that's the space. And the recording is going to be done by our pal Greg at the library, which should be great. Okay. So Greg is going to have a recorder at there. That's right. We're going to have kind of a... Is it a quasi sort of interview situation? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that's what's happening there. And we want people to bring their vegetables to stone soup, so to speak. We also have uh, the South Green News, which is uh, having a, a reception celebrating their 1,000th article. They'll be set up there as well. Beautiful. And we have uh, participation from the farmer's market. They'll be set up in Burnside Parquette. We have uh, a local benefactor who's donated uh, popcorn, so free popcorn for everybody. We have uh, the good people at uh, Rotary that are doing a uh, barbecue. Um, that's the Rotaract, the young, ambitious Rotary. The Rotaract, that's right. Right. The uh, the rabble rousers. So we have, um, yeah, Ruben, I think is uh, the kids on the block. That's right. He's going to be the chef de cuisine for that night. Right. And really, it's an event for for people to walk around, take some time to look at Main Street and just appreciate what's there. We also have uh, the new store in town, the River Valley Co., which is run by... um, a very nice young lady and uh, and her mom, Victoria Sampson and Christine. Right. And they have a really cool selection of merchandise, including Markdale merchandise. Made. Stuff that says Markdale on it. Oh, okay. Not made in Markdale. Not that I know of, but who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity there for a garment some industry. Secret little, little elves making stuff in Markdale. That we, may be cool. But Robert, before you, uh, we go in that evening. You're in the evening, right? Yes. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. So uh, one of the things that uh, you have to start your day off with is uh, going over to the Rockland Fair. Now, Rockland is also very exciting. I don't hesitate the word uh, rad, but they certainly are preserving and bringing forward new concepts, you know, for the agricultural fairs. They just had last weekend, they had uh, a big long table there. And so this weekend, uh, I know some of the uh, the councillors and some other prominent people are going to be uh, making pies and the pies are auctioned off in the evening to raise funds for for uh, the, the Rockland Arena. So 
I I don't know whether you've ever experienced that, uh, but it's certainly uh, a good place to visit. I have. I love Rockland. The the manner in which the community comes together in Mark in Rockland is awesome. Um, the tractor selection at, at the Father's Day car show was phenomenal. That's right. You took some pictures there, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I I really dig Rockland. I love what they're doing with the, the young people in 4-H. Right. And I love how they they get it done themselves. Um, having won the uh, the hometown uh, Canada, right. Uh, that's right. Won fifty thousand dollars there from. Yeah, and good for them. Yes. They're such a community-minded people. They have a, a beautiful culture and some very cool buildings, actually. They do. And, you know, um, you say, well, you drive through Rockland, you say, well, where's Rockland? I mean, in the sense that there are really no, uh, unfortunately, at this point in time, any retail outlets. But uh, I think that the spirit is there. They come together and they, they gather around their community center. And We've just had a, a nice young couple also open the Rockland Inn. So have, I don't know whether you've been through that, but it's a it's a really great renovation and it's a great place to stay. I've seen them on social media, and I think it was great that that uh, that young couple was showing their journey from uh, through renovations right. until opening, and then they had a, a nice grand opening with a bunch of people there. Right. Yeah. There's some cool stuff. The young There's- lady that uh, is running it, I've, her name escapes me at this moment, but she and her husband have done a great job. I think his job is actually renovation. So, and she uh, was, let's say, in a corporate job, and uh, but she also took uh, some cuisine uh, education at one of the one of the colleges. So her passion really is food. So I think she will be doing some interesting things at the Rockland Inn. And so everything's happening in Rockland. Maybe that uh, revitalization of Rockland will maybe somebody will may pick up that old general store there. I used to go there and get apple pies and uh, they were they were not to die for because I didn't die, but I did enjoy their apple pies. Well, who doesn't? I would really like to own that Pepsi sign from in front of the Rockland General Store. Yes. Yeah, that's a really cool one. I don't know whether you could afford that one because they're worth a lot of money. So. They are. Yeah. However, we do accept donations at the uh, South Gray Museum. Ah, Okay. So one of the other things that's coming up in the near future, uh, not that far off, is uh, Oktoberfest. And uh, we had Ruben uh, McCallum in the other day talking about uh, Oktoberfest. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. Again, run by the Rotaract, the young young people in the uh, in our community. Uh, now, young, 35 and down. So we're actually, I think, Robert, you qualify for uh, that uh, particular demographic. Uh, I do. I'm south of, uh, of 35 currently. Right. And Oktoberfest is exciting. Uh, it's a shame we don't have more Oktoberfests. I only get to wear my lederhosen once a year. Do you actually have a pair? No, of course not. We would rent them, I guess. All right. So that's been great having you today and uh, look forward to uh, some of the things that are happening from the mind of the master curator at uh, South Gray Museum and uh, good luck on the things that are happening. So thank you. It's it's humbling to be part of such an amazing community. And again, it's curator, not creator. I have no talents, but I like to think that I know good stuff when I see it. And there's a lot of good stuff up here in Gray Highland. So thanks very much for having me on, Stuart. Thanks, Robert. By the way, we push this episode a week to allow us to get the All Candidates Special Edition out. Hope you had a chance to listen to it. We'd also like to remind everyone there are two artistic tours this weekend, October 4th to 6th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can visit 42 artists in the Sogging Artists and Autumn Leaves Studio Tours. See the details at SoggingArtists.ca and Autumn Leaves Studio Tours, studiotour.ca. 
We also have the annual art map, which will see 28 arts open their studios this weekend as well. See details at theartmap.com. It's a great chance to see our natural fall beauty and get some great art. See you out there. You've been listening to episode four of In Grey Highlands This Week for Thursday, the 3rd of October, 2019. A current affairs podcast for and about the municipality of Grey Highlands in Ontario, Canada. Our hosts are Stuart Halliday and Paul McQueen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you favouring us with a response by email, feedback at ingreyhighlandsthisweek.ca or a call to our voicemail at 519-900-8905. Please visit ingreyhighlandsthisweek.ca to view the show notes, leave a comment and listen to the extended material. Our scores are skillfully composed and generously provided by Al Halliday of Arkham Dispatch and Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Thanks to our guests, Hugh Simpson of the Osprey Bluffs Honey Company, Karen Cox and Darlene Lamberti of the Hospital Fundraising Golf Tournament, and Robert Iantorno of the South Grey Museum. The show is produced by Tim Riley and Kate Russell at Leaking Ambient Studio in Flesherton. In Grey Highlands This Week is produced in association with the Grey Highlands Chamber of Commerce and is copyright under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivative, 4.0 International License.